The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. We are considering our last episode of God is Passing By. And this is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. God is passing by. And the verse reads, For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Uh, in this series, God is Passing By, this is the, uh, the baseline verse. Uh, and uh, this verse was the response of the seer to King Asa when the king misplaced his confidence in this, I should say, he placed his confidence in the Syrian king rather than in Jehovah for his deliverance. And as you might note from the prior chapter, chapter 15, that uh, this king was faced uh, by an adversary with a million-man army, the Ethiopian called Zira, had a million-man army, and he was defeated because this king placed his complete confidence in God's ability to deliver, regardless of the size of the army. And so this king's life is the backdrop for a vital truth concerning the believer's ability to touch the invisible hand of God, that is, the mystery of how any believer, any human being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God engages in communion, fellowship with the living God. And by virtue of this trust for God to work on his or her behalf, sees the mighty hand of God to deliver in the practical affairs and challenges of life. So just a brief recap. Uh, I mentioned before that there are five components to this uh, model, this paradigm of God's dealing with men of faith. But there are some things I, I, I want to highlight about this paradigm. Uh, firstly, it's transitional. Uh, trial becomes an event to dislodge our faith from the tangible and, if you will, attach it to the invisible, the eternal things of God. Secondly, uh, this paradigm is not static, but it's a dynamic process. It's a repeatable process throughout the life of any believer. And we will find that, for example, in the, um, the panoply of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. If we were to examine the, the challenges that some of the men and the women of faith encountered, we will find that this paradigm is overshadowing all of the events from the start meaning the introduction uh, to the trial, to the very end when God works a mighty deliverance. And then lastly, this is God's approved way. 
This is God's approved way. This is his method. And so these five elements are applied now uh, in King Asa's life, chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, uh, to a new event. And we're going to establish and examine in this conversation, unfortunately, how he failed when he was given a second opportunity to apply this principle of walking by faith. And I want to say, especially to newer believers, uh, I, I, I would exhort you to go back and read the narrative prayerfully, waiting upon God to, to establish it on your heart. But you will see when you read about this king's life, uh, it becomes clear the before when he was successful and the after when he unfortunately failed. So there are some lessons learned, and, and we're going to take some time to really walk through this. But the first 15 years of his reign, um, those years were marked by great accomplishments. Of course, he defeated Zira's army, totaling a, a million men plus 300 chariots. Uh, he restored the people back to God. Uh, thirdly, there, there was a removal of the abominations that Jehovah found hateful. And you'll always find, you'll know when the, the men and women of faith dig deep because they find the things that grieve the Spirit of God and they take the time to, to get rid of it, to remove it. Not only that, but uh, during his reign, uh, there was the restoration of sacrificial worship. And we find that in, in uh, the 11th and 12th verses of the prior chapter, chapter uh, 15. Uh, and then as we go along, uh, not only was he instrumental in bringing the people back in harmony with God's will and a renewed fellowship, but most importantly, uh, he reassembled the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and the Gentiles within those tribes, and add to that the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, as well as Simeon, we are told, uh, in verse 9, fell away to him, to King Asa, because they saw, and this is important, that Jehovah his God was with him. And I want to say to you, my friend, this is the singular result of walking by faith. The singular, the primary result of walking by faith is that your life becomes influential. That is, engaging with the living God as a regular event in your life causes the light of your life to become brighter. It causes people to see that there's something unique, distinct, different about you. And so we turn the corner and uh, we learn some key lessons about the ways of God in this man's life. Okay, 21 years. Now, in chapter 16, there's 21 years between the defeat of, of Zira and the, the falling away of, of those four tribes, or those two additional, three additional tribes, to King Asa. 21 years has passed since the routing of Zira's army and the, uh, if you will, the um, uh, resurgence of the people's affinity and affection and allegiance to Jehovah their God. And so now, 21 years later, God allows trials to ensure that they and we have learned the lessons about him and his ways. My friends, I want to say something, that, and a lot of people might disagree, and that's fine. I, I won't take it personally. 
But God wants to make himself predictable. He's the infinite God. He's, he's spirit. The heavens and the earth cannot contain him. We are told in the book of Proverbs that he humbles himself, I'm sorry, book of Psalms, that he humbles himself to look on the heavens and the earth. So great are his ways, but yet when it comes to his children and our ability to walk with him, he wants us to understand that there is a unique paradigm that applies for every child of God, every child walking by faith. Trials will be used of God to ensure that we learn these lessons. Other key lessons, for example, God reserves the right to test our faith, and repeatedly, so much so that we are told this in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the 6th to the 9th verse. This process, this, this purging of our faith, this testing, this process is more valuable to God than the process of removing impurities from, from gold. Peter calls it the proving of your faith, the proving, the testing, the purifying of your faith. This is vital to God. This is a standard approach with God in the believer's life. Underscore it. And you ask yourself, what is the intent? What is God intending to accomplish? The divine intent is that the disciple, the devotee, the believer, the child of God recognizes that with each successive trial comes a heightened awareness that God and God alone is at work yet again. Be warned, my friend. Trials in our lives, in the lives of believers, is not incidental. Once more, this is the singular, narrow path that the disciple must walk if they would be seasoned in the ways of God. Now we deal with the paradigm itself, the go-ahead. King Asa now faces a new a new go-ahead. And we find this in the first uh, two verses. And it says that uh, in the 36th year of the reign of King Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah in order to let none go out or come in to King Asa of Judah. And Asa brought out the silver and the gold out of the treasures of the house of Jehovah and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt at Damascus. So what we find now is 21 years has elapsed since the great victory over Zerah, and Jehovah allows a new trial, a second king, and not one as large as Zerah the Ethiopian. And what's important here is not the size of the trial, i.e. the size of the army, but the fact that the trial has come. This trial is different from before. It has new characteristics, but embedded in this trial is the novelty of this life lesson of faith. And that is this. Will the devotee, the believer, the child of God put into practice the lessons that the Spirit of God has taught him from the prior trial? Was there a victory? 
Were there lessons learned? What were they? During this second trial, there was no building program. There was no restoring of us, uh, sacrificial worship to the tribes or the nations. There was respite from war. And during this time of respite, Jehovah allowed an enemy to be raised up against his people while they are at ease. Please bear that in mind. Jehovah allowed an enemy to be raised up. So I ask you, my friend, are you experiencing trial, difficulty, challenge in your life, irrespective of your age? Has an event come into your life that you were unprepared for? Then I say to you, know assuredly that this is the hand of God, yet again, giving you an opportunity to walk by faith in his providential care. This is not by chance. Now, this is where the circumstance unfortunately becomes, uh, the failure become, comes to the surface. The first step in this failure is clear. King Asa brought out the silver and the gold from his treasuries as well as the treasuries of the house of God, the things that belong to God. Uh, unfortunately, this king committed sacrilege and he is about to implement a process to form a league with pagans for his deliverance. Now, this was a standard practice in the day that kings would, of course, establish a league with another king uh, so as to outnumber an adversary. And if you recall, in, in, in the life of King Solomon, uh, he took a bride from, from Pharaoh, the king of uh, Egypt. I think it was his uh, Pharaoh's daughter. So he was forming a league. This was not an extraordinary event. Now, these practices, unfortunately, uh, were not condoned by Jehovah because he wanted to be their deliverer. But I want to say to you, I want to say to you clearly, and I will be repeating this, okay? He was trusting in Ben-Hadad. He was not trusting in Jehovah. And this process of allowing a trial to resurrect itself in the life of the believer, God allowed to happen to this king once more. And what did he do? He executed a buyout. He bought this king's allegiance. And we're going to say more about this when we get to the promise. So here's the first question I want to ask you. And I want you, as I am doing with my own self, to search, search our hearts. And tell me, tell yourself, when trial comes to my life, what is the first thing I do? Typically, get a sheet of paper, write it down. What do I do first? And now we come to the promise. Uh, and this is our verses 2 and 3. And let's read it. And, and, and Asa brought out the silver and the gold out of the treasures of the house of Jehovah, as I read before, and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt at Damascus. And he said this, there is a league between me and you, between my father and your father. 
Behold, I send you silver and gold. Go, break your league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. So evidently, Ben-Hadad already was in league with Baasha, <laughs> and uh, that league was broken because uh, King Asa, <laughs> if you will, bribed Ben-Hadad. He gave him money to break his allegiance. And so when the trial comes, when this king rose up against King Asa, there was no reliance on some promise of God to deliver. The lessons learned 21 years before had been forgotten. There was no active engagement in anything that exemplified a focus on God's purposes and promises. In fact, in the first 15 years, he was acutely aware, this king, Asa, was acutely aware that the peace that they now uh, experienced was by the hand of Jehovah. He was aware of this, and they were actively seeking God. And this is of vital importance, my friend, that there must be an active, healthy, consistent time alone with God, without exception regardless of how long we have been in the faith. This was evident in the life of our Lord Jesus, and we, he exhorted his followers early in his, his Galilean ministry. In Matthew 6, we are told and exhorted to draw near to in the presence of God as in entering into a closet and closing the door behind us, and there commune with God. And he who sees in secret, the Lord Jesus says, with promise, the God who sees in secret will render it to you. And as I mentioned before, what, God, what was spoken with God in secret shall be answered in public. <laughs> and so the very trial that we are experiencing exposes, sometimes, our lack of faith and devotion to God, or at worst, it will reveal what the priorities of our hearts are. What are we actively trusting in? Is it a method? Is it our friends? Our employment, our job, is it money? or some other commodity. But I assure you, my friends, the trial, the difficulty, the challenge, the thing, the situation that elicits fear will reveal the impurities that are mixed in our hearts and that tarnishes faith. So here's the second heart-searching question. What have you learned about your habitual patterns of walking with God or not walking with God. What do you see yourself trusting to? What do you resort to as soon as a trial comes? Do you pick up the phone and call your friend and complain incessantly or worry incessantly? What do you do? And if you recall, when we were considering uh, King Asa's initial victory. In the first 15 years of his reign, they weren't complacent. He says, quote, We have sought him, that is Jehovah, and he has given us rest. That was in chapter 15, verse 7. We have sought him. They weren't complacent. It was a regular 
process, a regular event in the national life of these two tribes to seek Jehovah. And I want to ask you, is this the pattern in your life? You could call it whatever you want. Your time of devotions, time alone with God, your prayer time, doesn't matter. But it's a time that is set aside where the Word of God the Spirit of God speaks to me by the Word of God, and I commune with God, sharing from the depths of my heart and petitioning and thanking Him and worshiping Him and interceding for those that I love and care for, the world, the nations, my state or country, those that I work with. But it's a time when the sacred matters of heaven and earth are brought before God in such a way that his interest, in fact, as his disciples had said, Lord, teach us to pray. What did he say? Our Father, which art in heaven, your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. The things that are of interest to God that I've made my interest, those are the things that I am pursuing. So they weren't complacent. But now it's at this juncture that the risk of complacency comes to bear. Because 21 years has elapsed without challenge or crisis until Beasha comes. And so I will say to you, here's the risk. Many Christians want this state of quietude to be the norm, incorrectly concluding that if it continues, this is the proof that God has blessed me and approves of my life. Again, this is flawed thinking spiritually. It is flawed. It flaw it, it's a flawed understanding of the ways of God. And we see it, it is it is germane, it's rampant in our culture in Christendom today. That people are assuming that if my life is quiet, if my life is not upset by trial, then this is evidence that I am in the will of God and its continuance, the continuance of this quietude is proof of God's divine blessing and approval. And we live with the expectation that this uninterrupted flow of events is proof we are in the will of God. And in some small measure, this might be partially accurate, but the notion prevails that adverse circumstances may signal the presence of sin in our lives. We conclude, well, if I'm experiencing trial, well, maybe I've sinned. No, my friend, it is God allowing trial to turn our eyes towards him, to move our hearts towards his word, to find some promise with which we can commune with the living God and see his working in our lives. And so then begins the pointless scurrying to excessive examination, whether there is any wrongdoing to confess. But in truth and in fact, it is simply the hand of God about to insert into our lives trial for the purpose of growing us in faith and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the, the uh, next part of the paradigm, the contrary circumstances. This is the juncture where God orchestrates or inserts a circumstance, as I mentioned before, that introduces uncertainty, extremity, maybe peril. But it always results in fear. Always. 
And so Jehovah is about to test King Asa's new, I call it new paradigm, because he didn't follow the old paradigm. <laughs> he resorted to the gold and silver in his treasuries and Jehovah's treasuries. So God is about to do what? He's about to test it, to prove it, to see if his paradigm meets the divine standard. And God does the same with you and me, my friends. He will do the same. If we have some paradigm set in our minds how we think God operates, he will bring a trial to reveal it to ourselves. And when we see it, what are we going to do about it? And so again, Jehovah is about to test this king and prove the paradigm that he is relying on, confirming if it meets the divine standard. So I ask you this question. Does what you believe about God and his ways align with what the Word of God reveals about God and his ways? This, my friend, is what God is about to test in every one of our lives. I assure you, God allows trials so that he may reveal to us, <laughs> to the, the invisible personages, if what I believe about him in fact aligns perfectly with what the Word of God reveals about him and his ways. This is what he is going to test with everyone. Because I want to say this to you, we all believe something about God, but not every one of us believe accurately the things that God says about himself. And one of the things he says about himself is that his eyes run to and fro through the whole earth to look and find the opportunity to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. That's what he says about himself. Does my response to trial confirm that my heart is perfect towards him? So the question is, for example, in Asa's case, does God sanction the taking of his treasuries in order to establish a league with an enemy king, King uh, Ben-Hadad of Syria, with the objective being to dissuade Ben-Hadad or to, to induce Ben-Hadad to break his league with King Baasha. And so when the odds are stacked against King Asa, and sometimes when the odds are stacked against us by God, this is the time that we need to examine what we really, what we truly believe about the nature of God, his will, his ways. Our lips, our emotions, our conduct, will at this point confirm or betray us to our very selves and to the whole world. I, I assure you, my friends, trial will either reveal that you are the genuine article, the believer, the devotee, the disciple, trusting in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, or complaint and worry will betray the fact that you or I am not trusting in the living God. And so here is King uh, Asa's new paradigm. And, and I, want to, I want to lay it out for you as 
as it stands out in my head. And, and, and you may come up with a, you may, you may uh, arrive at a, a different conclusion or, or state it differently, but when you look at King Asa's actions, what he is saying is this. I, King Asa, believe it is expedient to use the treasuries, the treasures from my home and from the house of God to deliver us from any tragedy that may be facing us, although they belong to Jehovah. Therefore, it's perfectly reasonable to convince the king of Syria to join forces with me against this enemy. And if I am successful, my conclusion is this is the will of God in allowing me to succeed with this approach. <laughs> and that's the way I would put it for King Asa. And that's the way many of us put it. We assume that if I go, if I uh, utilize a, a methodology that doesn't uh, bring glory to God by, by signaling, by showing, by demonstrating this is his way of working, well, even though it's not his way of working, but if it is successful, I assume it was God's will for my life. And that, my friends, is flawed thinking. Many believers conclude that if I am successful, then God has sanctioned what I'm doing. And it is his will. And so I am free to use any available method, although it may not align with the biblical revelation as to the ways of God, or it might be a questionable course of action. But if it succeeds, I presume it to be the will of God. So I ask you the third question. Do I assume that my methods, if successfully concluded, confirms that my original plan was the will of God. Now, this is a heart-searching question because although we may experience success, it may not be the will of God, and we will see that shortly. And then we come to the last part of the paradigm, awareness of God's presence. <laughs> awareness of God's presence. And, and this is where many of us will confess that I am not always aware that God is with me. It's not my uh, privileged experience. And this is where the metal, the gold, the faith is tested as it is placed into the fire. Typically, there is no awareness that God is leading me, nor that I have the witness of, my, of the uh, Holy Spirit in my heart that I am in the will of God. Many will say, oh, I'm in the will of God, but there is no witness by the Spirit of God. There is no joy in that. There have been times when I knew, uh, and perhaps I, I don't have uh, the opportunity right now because it would take us off course, but there have been other times in, in prayer when I asked of God something and I knew he would deliver, before a certain given date. 
And I stood firm on my faith because it was clear in the Word of God that sometimes the Lord allows you to go to the very edge, allows the circumstance to become, if you will, tenuous before he responds. And he did. But I had joy all along because I knew that what I was believing about his ways was, in fact, accurate. And the Spirit of God witnessed within my spirit, you are in the will of God. In fact, when I was going to uh, St. Croix, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, the year of Hurricane Maria 2017, I remember going on standby, and I, you know, I had my, my, my standard ticket booked for a given date, but I was trying to get on a flight you know, the day before, and uh, coincidentally, the flights prior to my date of departure were being canceled, and the flights after my date of departure were being canceled, but the flights on my day of departure were not being canceled. And that night when I began to wonder if I'm going to get to St. Croix, the Spirit of God witnessed within my heart, all is well. You will be there. And that night I slept comfortably because I knew I was in the will of God. And time, of course, proved that. But I ask you, when your faith is tested, are you sure that God is leading or this is your self-will that is leading? What impurities will be found out? What will you see? What will I see in myself that becomes unsavory to the eyes of the most holy God? Will I see that I'm, as James says, a double-minded man? He says, uh, clear evidences of wavering, wondering if God will or will not step in. And as a result, I, I take matters into my own hands based on my intellect or past experience or misaligned advice of others and not searching the word of God for his great and precious promises. And unfortunately, many sinful inclinations, habits of thinking, become clearer to the believer when we are not following a paradigm that is sanctioned, approved, that, that aligns with the will and ways of God. And so it becomes clearer that I am filled with a lack of trust in the compassionate and providential care of God. And so this time, King Asa failed to look to God with singleness of heart. I repeat, King Asa, this time, failed to look with singleness of heart to Jehovah, fully expecting him to do and to show himself strong on this king's behalf. His new paradigm failed miserably. He trusted in Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And his heart was not perfect towards God. How do we know? How do we know? Well, listen to his plea to King Ben-Hadad. He says, establish a league between you and me. Let's make an agreement. And between my father and your father, look, I'm sending you silver and gold to go and break your league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. I want him to depart from me. 
he was looking with singleness of heart to King Ben-Hadad. That is where his confidence rested. And then we come to the, the last part of the paradigm, the stepping out. <laughs> and I'm here to say there was none. There was no stepping out in faith. Peter, when he recognized the Lord Jesus uh, saying to the, the disciples, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And the Lord Jesus said, come. And the man stepped out of the boat and did the impossible. But he was looking to Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, with singleness of heart. And the Lord Jesus made water firm for this man, the woman with the, with the hemorrhage, 12 years spent all her living, knew she couldn't be healed and was getting worse, heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, knew, and she said in her heart, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She stepped out. She believed. She looked to the Lord with singleness of heart, expecting his providential loving care to be exercised in grace towards her. And my friends, <laughs> There was no stepping out in King Asa's case. His faith did not rest in reliance on the Lord. His confidence was in money and his leadership ability to influence another king, a pagan king, to help deliver him. And my, I am here to tell you, this is what betrays many of us. The failure to examine our hearts and acknowledge what we are trusting in, but not own the fact that we are not trusting with singleness of heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his great and precious promises. We may be trusting a person, a best practice, perhaps in business or in our home or in our marriage, a best practice in our church, a best practice among our loved ones or some other object, but not in the great and precious promises of the living God. And in fact, if we were to go to uh, Peter, Second Peter, he says this, he says, um, uh, for example, uh, in, his, in his writings to the, uh, the, uh, the uh, believers who were scattered abroad throughout Asia, Asia Minor, and he says, as his divine power has given unto us all things which relate to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us uh, by glory and virtue, through which he has given us great and precious promises, that by these promises, through these promises, you might become partakers of his divine nature. Partakers of God's divine nature. That's the privilege, walking with God. In his first test, King Asa said, Oh, Jehovah, help us, for we rely on you, and it is in your name that we've come against this great multitude. But in his second test, he said, There's a league between you and me, between my father and your father. Look, I'm sending you silver and gold. Two distinct and opposite uh, positions of the heart. In the first 15, uh, 21 years before, he looked with singleness of heart to Jehovah. In the second, his heart was divided. He looked to Ben-Hadad. And this, my friends, is the critical part of the paradigm of faith. This is the place 
where we see ourselves and what we truly believe about God's working on our behalf. This can either be a moment of joy and a sense of invincibility in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or abject humiliation in seeing ourselves and confessing our sin of rank unbelief. We either see ourselves as conquerors in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, confident that God cannot fail us. Why? It is there is nothing impossible to God. And if he's given a promise, in fact, our Lord Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a magnanimous promise. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> oh, my. But I say to you, this is the place where we either see ourselves and what we truly believe about God's working, where it can be a moment of joy, we can have a sense of the fact that I am more than a conqueror in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or I bow my head in shame and abject humiliation in seeing myself and confessing my own sin of unbelief. And so now God steps in. God steps in by the mouth of the seer. And this is, I thought this was so sad. And the seer comes to him that is to King Asa, and said unto him, Because you've relied on the king of Syria and has not relied on Jehovah your God, therefore has the army of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hands. So guess what? God did not want him to make the league. God wanted the king of Syria to align with Baasha, and God's will was to defeat both their, uh, those kings. But because of what he did, even though it was successful, it was not the will of God. In King Asa's circumstance, the will of God was to capture the Syrian king, Ben-Hadad. And I want to say this to you and to me as a warning to our hearts, that when we fail to have a heart that is looking to God in a singular way, we will never, I repeat, we will never achieve the will of God, regardless of the methods we employ, and even if they are successful. Secondly, with every opportunity that we successfully look to God with a singleness of heart, that new event and victory becomes the new baseline for the next successful opportunity to trust in the Lord with our whole heart. And so we must build on each successive victory, and this new victory becomes the stepping stone for the next trial. And a new and potentially greater opportunity to see the hand of God in our lives. And then thirdly, James says in chapter 1, count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trial of our faith produces endurance and so forth. And so now, trial becomes a reality for, joy in trial, I should say, becomes a reality for any believer. One becomes joyful. Why? Because we now have a testimony, a history, proof, however brief, 
of God's working in our lives to achieve the impossible and to deliver from any circumstance. That truth, that experience, that victory emboldens us to trust God with a greater measure of faith. And so the seer reminded King Asa in chapter 16 and verse 3 about his, his victory 21 years prior when the Ethiopians and the, and the Libyans outnumbered him with a large army. And when this king relied on Jehovah, he, that is Jehovah, delivered them into his hands. This is what looking to God with a perfect heart is. But in the second test, King Asa failed to do as before, that is, rely on Jehovah. Rather, he relied on the king of Syria instead. And this is the key lesson for every one of us. Everyone who endeavors to walk with God day by day, this is the lesson. Hear me well. If we look to any other means than the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we failed. If we, if we rely on uh, some monetary commodity, we failed. If we rely on, however noble, our, our nearest prayer warrior in our church, in our fellowship, we fail. If we use any expedient method, however tried and true, apart from the promises of God, we fail. Any shortcut imagined in the heart of man and relied upon, we have immediately failed in looking to God with a singleness of heart, with a perfect heart. It is God and God alone who ought to deliver us and thus will receive all the glory. And so the seer said to King Asa, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? But when you relied on Jehovah, he delivered them into your hands. And then he states this verse, for the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. I want you to note this, my friends. This is the Spirit of God telling us something of the ways and methods of God. He will demonstrate that he is for us as long as our hearts are tilted perfectly like the both hands of a clock at 12 midnight or, or, or 12 noon aligned perfectly looking to God. And he says by the, the witness of the Spirit of God here on earth that he is searching the earth for that person who is looking to him with singleness of heart. And he promises he will show himself strong on your behalf. And then he says this to King Asa, in this you have done foolishly for from henceforth you shall have wars. And there it is. You have done foolishly. You made a grave error. My friends, we cannot afford to not walk by faith. So, to conclude, what does it mean to have a heart that is perfect towards God? It's really very simple. And I want to just quiet quiet our hearts right now before God in his presence. And, and let this be a time of soul searching. 
But as we've often said, as we walk with God beside still waters, we are desiring to have a heart that is sensitive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, a heart that is perfectly tilted in God's direction. And so firstly, we recognize that God is willing and wanting to help. And this is the basis of us leaning in His direction. Secondly, we ought to be willing to ask for His help and to let Him know with a worship-loving spirit that we're trusting Him and Him alone and no other. Knowing that His heart and His mind is inclined to want to help me, to help you, to help us. And thirdly, that we own before Him that we have no capacity in ourselves. Whether we have much resources or little, we are looking to Him because it is of no consequence before God. His objective is to show Himself, His grace, His power on our behalf. He wants to be my helper, your helper, our helper, to be strong on my behalf and your behalf and our behalf. And lastly, knowing that He desires to be my deliverer, and my helper, I go forth with the full expectation that he and he alone will help me. Oh, Father, let it be our portion that as we look to you in singleness of heart, reminding you of your great promises as this one, that your eyes are searching the whole earth for such a one that is looking to you with singleness of heart. Oh, Father, let it be us that we might see you work on our behalf, that others may be blessed as a result of our singleness of heart. Let it be so for your glory and that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.